Good morning, church. Y'all find Gustavo after and just y'all tell him you love him. I mean, if if you can't feel the Holy Spirit when you're listening to him play, then then I think something's wrong with you. (laughs) But uh, hey, man, Um, I had a chance to visit with Laura a little bit over the last couple weeks, and, and she was asking me how this is going, like this is going. And I told her it's been real good. It's been, it's been fun. I've had a lot of fun with y'all. But I told her y'all are also more than ready to have her back. And I can tell, like, I'm looking in y'all's eyes right now, and I can see, like, Betsy, I'm looking at you. And you're smiling, but I can see, I recognize this look. It's, it's the look that people have when they're at their untalented middle schoolers orchestra concert. And it's like Tuesday at 8.45 p.m. And you're doing the right thing. You're smiling and you're going to post a picture on Facebook. But in your brain, you're going, all right, let's wrap this thing up. (laughs) Mama's got a glass of wine ready for her (laughs) back at the... But uh, no, this has been super fun. And uh, here's here's what we're going to do today. Uh, We're going to dig in on one of our We Believe statements. Y'all know we've, a long time ago, the church created these We Believe statements. And one of them is, we believe worship doesn't have to be boring. Another one is, we believe youth lead. We believe children matter. And there's one I hadn't heard us really talk about, which is, we believe we all need good friends. And I've also been wanting to do a character study on Barnabas, just for selfish reasons. And I'm going to try to smash those two things together. We all need good friends and uh, Barnabas, uh, Paul's friend. So I'm going to read a couple different scriptures today, but where we're going to start is in Acts 9, and it's going to be verses 26 and 27. And Acts 9 is where we get to read about Saul's conversion to Paul. And 26 and 27 is where Saul meets the disciples. 26. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. 27. But Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. Now, I think when we think about Paul, there's a couple of things that we don't think enough about. And the first thing is that we don't think enough about that Paul is a giant. Paul is a, had a significant contribution to the New Testament, and Paul looms large in our faith. There's some debate amongst contemporary scholars about which books Paul wrote, but at minimum he wrote eight of the 27 books in the New Testament, and he may have written up to 13 of the 27 books. So Paul, just by sheer volume, has a massive impact on our faith and the, what, what we believe. But it's not just about volume or the pro, how prolific he was in his writing. It's also the words and, and how he shaped our faith. How, how many of y'all have a Kindle? Do y'all have Kindles? Several of y'all. Y'all know that thing where it has, when you go to underline something, it shows you how many other people have underlined it too? Well, Whitey, that makes me not want to underline it. But then I'm like, oh, no, it's really good. But so I'm, I'm going to underline it anyway. And then I'm one of the 4,500 people who underlined that passage. Well, your Bible app does the same thing. It can figure out how many times you've highlighted or underlined a particular passage. 
And so I found, I ran across this study. It was done in 2014. Uh, of the top 10 verses, not just in the New Testament, but the whole Bible that were underlined. And guess what? Four out of the top 10 verses in the whole Bible come from words written by Paul. And in fact, the top three are all from Paul's writings. And so I thought we'd do like a quick David Letterman thing and count back, three, two, one, these uh, uh, writings by Paul. So here's the, here's the number three one. The third most highlighted verse in the whole Bible is Philippians 4, 6. It reads, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. The top second one is Philippians 4.8. It reads this way. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And then the number one most highlighted, underlined verse in the entire Bible, Romans 12, 2. Friends, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Beautiful words, inspired by God, shaping our faith, written by Paul. And so we don't always think about what a giant Paul is. And the second thing I don't think we think enough about is what a villain he was. And not Paul as Paul, but Paul as Saul before his conversion. If we were putting a list together of the top 10 villains in the Bible, Saul makes the list hands down. He wore the blackest of hats. We first meet Saul in Acts 8, 1, and it, it, it introduces him this way, is that he was present when Stephen was killed for his faith. Stephen was the first martyr killed for his belief in Christ. And so if you can imagine, if we read back in Acts 7 and read the story of Stephen and the events that led up to his death, um, you would have seen that he gave this long speech to the Jewish elders. And Stephen got super fired up and maybe too fired up because he was starting to call the Jewish elders heathens and stubborn. And, but at the core of what his message was was something really pure. What he was trying to tell the Jewish leaders was that God does, cannot be constrained to a temple. He doesn't just live there. Even as the Israelites walked through the wilderness, wilderness God walked along with the Israelites as a friend. He's in us, with us. Amen. And that's what he was trying to cry out to the Jewish leaders. And even as they were crushing his lungs with stones, he was still trying to plead to make his case. And with his dying breath, he fell to his knees and he begged and prayed to God that he would forgive the people that were killing him. He said, God, don't count this against them. And Saul watched. He stood by, and the verse says that he greatly approved of what, what had happened. Saul wasn't inspired by that tremendous faith. Seeing Stephen killed made him thirsty for more. 
And I, this is one of the things I think I've missed as I studied Saul's conversion and, and to Paul, is I like to think of Saul as complicit, that he was just a soldier carrying out his orders. No, when, when Saul went on the road to Damascus, he had to ask permission because he wanted to go um, arrest more Christians. Saul the villain. But this message isn't a message about Paul. It's not about Paul the giant. And it's not a message about Saul the villain. This is a message about Barnabas, Paul's friend. And what I believe may be overlooked words in the scripture, but Barnabas. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe, and maybe they just could not believe that he had truly become a believer. But Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. This is the word of God for the people of God. We don't know a ton about Barnabas. We first meet him in Acts 4, and there's a passage there that mentions him by name. And the passage there isn't even really about Barnabas. What it's about is that it's describing how the early church and the early Christians would come together and form communities, and they would pool their money, and they would try to make sure that everybody was taken care of. And Barnabas is mentioned as an example of one of the people who did this. He was a for instance. And so what we learn is that Barnabas was a landowner. He had a lot on the island of Cyprus, and he sold that lot and took his money and gave it to the community of believers. Now, remember what we learned about the island of Cyprus is that the Greeks called this the Blessed Isle or the Happy Island. And so this was not some scrubby lot that was full of cedar trees. This likely was a you know, prime piece of real estate that Barnabas is giving up. In this passage, we also learn that Barnabas was not his real name. Barnabas was a nickname. His name was Joseph. And Barnabas meant son of encouragement. Now, I was going to tell you what some of Whitey's nicknames were back in high school, but I can't say them from the pulpit because we're recording a podcast right now. But I bet you, Whitey, you would trade all those nicknames for one just half as good as son of encouragement. What a thing to be known for. If I quit my job one day and retire and they say about me I was a son of encouragement, what an honor that would be. But we don't know much else about Barnabas other than that he walked and he talked and he was with Paul all throughout the rest of Acts. We just get glimpses of him, but Paul in the spotlight. And what I can guess is that all along the way, Barnabas, the friend, is encouraging Paul, teaching him things, influencing the way Paul thinks, influencing the way you think as you highlight those verses in your Bible app. But all of that went silent and undocumented, Barnabas' influence over Paul. In the story arc of our lives, when we look at it in the macro, there are people 
and there are moments that shape us. And there's some of those people that loom large. You know, our parents, our spouses, our kids. In the micro, there are folks that shape us and take the wheel of our lives and turn us in directions that are hardly perceptible. People that have influenced us that we may even never had the chance to thank. I'm thinking of one man in my life. Um, his name is Taylor. Um, Taylor, I worked for him in my early 20s. And when I started working for Taylor, I was a young man, and it was the first time that I had managed a group of people. And one of the things Taylor taught me was accountability. Because as early 20s, when my team was not doing something I wanted them to do, it was really easy for me to blame them and take it out on them. What Taylor taught me was to own the team's performance and create accountability in myself for what the team did. I wouldn't be the leader I am today without Taylor's influence. But often in my life, he goes unthinked. He's not unthanked. He's not part of the larger story. And I think about the men in this church who I call friends. The husbands and fathers who I get the honor of doing life with. And I watch them striving to be good men and nurturing husbands and caring fathers. And I think about all the ways silently that they're shaping my life. And I think about all the ways that they're influencing me in undocumented moments. Friendship isn't easy. It requires investment and vulnerability. This moment where Paul, where Barnabas brings Saul to the disciples was loaded with risk. If you think about the vulnerable situation he put the disciples in, there was a physical risk. Saul was known as a violent man, and so literally their lives were at stake as he brings Saul into the group. There's a sociological risk here. We talked about how Barnabas had built up his reputation. He was known as the son of encouragement, but here he is putting his entire reputation at stake for this man. And then there was organizational risk too. If you think about it, this was the epicenter of the Christian movement and bringing, Barnab- bringing Paul in to this moment put the whole spread of the gospel at risk. This moment was loaded with risk. But Barnabas brought Saul to the disciples and told them how he had seen the Lord. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, um, he, he writes about the four Greek words for love, and he calls them the four types of love. There's divine love, there's romantic love, affectionate love, and then finally, friendship love. And he helps set up contrasts for the different types of love by describing body language. He says romantic love, the body language of romantic love is face-to-face, you know, lovers in embrace. And that with affectionate love, it's a body language of looking down, like a mother cradling a child. But with friendship love, the body language is not 
face to face, not looking at each other, but it's looking back. The image of friendship is two standing together, shoulder to shoulder, sharing a view. There's a study of Acts that we could do. Yes, the book of Acts is about the spread of the gospel. Yes, the book of Acts is about the establishment of the church. But as much as it's about that, Acts is about friends. It's about friendship and people walking together. I want to share one other example from Acts about friendship. And I'm going to jump away from Barnabas and Paul for a moment and jump to Peter and Cornelius. Now, the Cornelius and Peter story is a really beautiful one. It's super rich, but I want to just laser in on this one little part. Cornelius was an officer and well-known as a devout and a good man, and he was really excited to meet the disciples. So he comes and he meets Peter. And the first thing he does when he sees Peter is he's so overwhelmed that he drops to his knees and he worships Peter. Now, this would have been a customary move in the Eastern culture is to drop to your knees and bow to somebody who's in power. But I want you to hear what Peter says, and this is 26 and 27 of uh, chapter 10 in Acts. But Peter pulled him up and said, stand up. I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together and walked inside where many others were gathered. And this is the image of friendship that Acts gives us. Two men from different backgrounds, an officer and a fisherman walking and talking together with a shared faith. And this is the image of friendship that we get from Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas, the landowner, the encourager, Saul, the persecutor of Christians, and maybe a hothead, but walking together, doing ministry. And this is the image of us. We come from different backgrounds. We voted maybe different. But we are bankers, and we are marketing professionals, and we are musicians, we are architects, we are teachers, we are nurses, and we are friends. We stand together, shoulder to shoulder, and we look out over our world, and we look at our community, and we see the same thing. We share a common vision of imperfect people transformed by the perfect love of Christ who changed the world together. We are friends united in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we are your church. And we came here today, God, because we wanted to see our friends and what a blessing they are in our lives. And God, we also came here 
as a statement of faith. Walking through the doors was saying non-verbally that we believe in something way bigger than what's going on in our day-to-day. And God, this church is so many things to us, and we're so blessed to be able to worship freely here. But one thing that it is, is this is a safe place for us to come and be friends and make friends and encourage one another. God, we thank you for the friend we have in your son, Jesus. In his precious name we pray, amen.